In the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, we are presented with God's wonderful plan through the death and resurrection of Jesus to save for himself a diverse family of saints who are being transformed by Jesus to live like Jesus. This is Galatians, God's very good idea. And we are Mercy Village Church, located in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. When I was uh, in my teen years, I I picked up a book called The Edge of Eternity by a guy named Randy Alcorn. Pretty prolific uh, writer in the Christian circles back in the 90s. I think he's still writing today. I, I do not recommend or not recommend any of his other books because I haven't read any of them. So uh, I'm not advocating uh, him or not advocating him. But this book that I read was a modern-day Pilgrim's Progress. If you're familiar with that book written by John Bunyan years and years ago. I think it is the second best-selling book in the world of all time behind the Bible. That book, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, is a follows a man who's on his way to a celestial city. It, of course, is an allegory. We're actually going to come back to it later in this. But this modern-day version followed a man named Nick, which is a way more modern name than, uh, than in Pilgrim's Progress. There's no Nicks in, in the original Pilgrim Progress. But Nick follows this road to this celestial city, and along the way, this allegory paints him meeting different people, encountering different situations. One of them that stood out to me applies to us today. He's off the the primary road that he's traveling on. He's kind of off in this wooded area, and he hears noise, Nick does, from this this, uh, cluster of trees. And so he goes over there, and what he finds are some voices, but there's three men inside this makeshift wooden prison cell that's just been built in the middle of this cluster of trees, just wood and bars and metal. And he begins to talk to these men. Their names are Gordy, Zed, and Roy. Uh, And uh, we're going to talk to Randy about how he names his characters. These are pretty lame names, but uh, (laughs) Gordy's interesting. I'm for that. Um, everyone named Zed and Roy hates me now. I'm sorry. So he goes, he talks to them. How long have you been here? How do you guys survive here? Who brings you food? You know, all these questions that he has. And as he's talking to them, he leans on the prison door. And it just falls right open. And he tumbles in, falls down on the ground. He picks himself up and he says, the door's wide open. You're, you're free. Come on, come out. Be free. Join me on this road to this city that he's been telling them about and they don't respond they begin they continue sitting there they're playing cards together or something until gordy who's only been there for nine years uh, i think roy had been there for 25 the other one had been there for 16 and and gordy been there for nine i'm about to die I ate some trail mix, and I think I <laughs> had a piece of a peanut kind of hanging out. Don't go nuts. Yeah, there you go. We had some drums, but don't not hit it. <clears throat> so Gordy finally agrees to come out, and he steps out of the prison cell. The door's wide open, and they continue to encourage these folks, come with us. You're free. The door is open, and no response from the other two. They eventually leave. They leave the door wide open and 
Still, they never exit. I bring that up because that's exactly the danger that's facing the saints in the churches of Galatia when we come to verses 21 through 31 of chapter 4. These Judaizers, as Paul calls them, these folks who are here to promote the law, the Old Testament law as required for them to be made right with God and for them to be true Christians, are calling the Galatians to walk away from the freedom that is theirs in Christ and go into a prison cell of checklist and obedience to the law which has become unnecessary for them. To act as if they're prisoners when in fact they're free. The opposite is true of the Judaizers. They're enslaved to the law, to these checklists, this legalism that they possess. And yet they would have called themselves free. Sometimes we get confused about who we are. Sometimes we forget that in Christ, as the children of God, we are free. And we start to live as if we're not. That's where Paul finds these folks today. And what he's going to remind them of is that there's no freedom apart from Jesus Christ. But those who are truly free should embrace that freedom fervently. We should come back to that freedom time and time again and live in the truth of it. So Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Paul starts with a, a little bit of a dig. He, he loves these folks deeply. And he loves them too much to, to tiptoe around. And he's also taking a dig at the Judaizers as well. These false teachers who are there leading them astray. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Even lift, bro? Isn't that, the, is that what people say? Do you even listen to it? You proclaim it. You teach the law. You want us to live according to the law. Have you even read what it says? You'll see here today and then really vividly next week that Paul has zero chill when it comes to these folks, these Judaizers. Paul has come to the church at Galatia with a ton of patience, kindness, love. He said some hard things to these folks, but he said it with compassion and care. He said it with a deep, fervent love for them, but when it comes to people who would use their power and influence, who would use their positions within the church to gain glory and power for themselves instead of for Jesus, Paul's compassion and care takes him a very different direction. A direction of instead of pulling in close, wanting to push them out from the body of Christ. To stop with their selfish, narcissistic, arrogant behavior. And so he comes out swinging towards them and and he gives a history lesson. Verses 22 and 23. He says, remember the story if you've read it from Genesis, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. Not just Isaac. He had two sons. One by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born through promise. 
Maybe you're familiar with the, the story. Maybe uh, you've heard it before, but here's the highlights. Genesis 15, God promises Abraham that he will have a family that will be a great nation. And that through that great nation, that family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. But there's a problem. Sarai, who becomes Sarah, Abram, who becomes Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. They're 86 at the time, or uh, Abraham is, and uh, Sarah is 76 at the time. Still no kids. That's a problem. How do you have a great nation if you don't even have any, any kids? But Sarah had a, had a solution. Not a very good one, but she had a, a workaround. Genesis 1, uh, 16, 1 through 3. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now, you have to understand how she's saying that in the Hebrew. She's saying that with finality. She doesn't mean that up till now, God has prevented me from having children. That would be a true statement. She could speak on behalf of God if that was what she was saying. But what she's saying is it's over. I'm never having kids, and and God has determined that to be true. We don't get to speak for God like that. God makes those decisions, and you know the end of the story. He will. He will give her children. But she has another idea. She says, go into my servant. And you know what that means in biblical talk. I don't have to explain that, right? We're all on the same page. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. That's an end around. That's what they're trying to do is an end around. God has promised something to them and they have yet to see it delivered and so they're going to take matters into their own hands and try to do an end around of God's plan. God's going to redeem it but this was not the way that it was supposed to be. Hagar, he went into Hagar and she conceived. So it looks like it worked, but it really didn't. And when she saw, Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarah. The tension begins at the moment of Ishmael, his name, conception. The problems begin there between Sarah and Hagar. Nine months pass, Hagar bears Abram a son, and Abram called his, the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Fourteen years will pass before Isaac is born to Sarah. Fourteen years after that moment. But that's the story that Paul is referencing in Galatians chapter 4. Now, note two significant differences between these children. And this, what he's going into here is an allegory, by the way. And it, it breaks down. 
So there's things that Paul is saying here by way of allegory that if you tried to write them all over this story from Genesis, you would lose sight of the fact that God deeply loved Hagar and Ishmael. That he protects them, he redeems everything that's happening for the, uh, to them, he provides for them, he, he goes, uh, uh, sends help to them throughout their entire situation. He blesses them. So don't miss that, right? Because allegories get overly simplified. And in the oversimplification of this allegory that, that Paul's going to speak into this situation, you might miss the love that God had for Hagar and Ishmael. Don't miss that today. It's there. You might not see it in this allegory, but it's there. And if you go back and read the whole account of this story in Genesis, you can't miss it. You can't miss it. But Ishmael was born into slavery with his mother. Now, it was different than American slavery. American slavery is like property rights. This was by no means uh, good and godly. But there's a special kind of evil in treating someone as if they're property, and then when they give birth to someone, that person becomes a separate piece of property as well. What he means here for Ishmael is that he was attached to his mother. When Ishmael's mother would become free, Ishmael would be free as well. But while she was a slave, he was born into that same slave relationship. Eventually they will be sent out, but they will be sent out together. So he's born into slavery, but Isaac is born into the freedom of his mother, Ishmael, this is the more important part, was born according to the flesh. What Paul means by that is that's how Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands, whereas Isaac was born through promise. But Paul's not just recounting historical events. He's, he's going to do something. He says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Now what's about to come in the next four verses is going to maybe tempt you to just check out and go to sleep because it's kind of pedantic and And it's even kind of weird. But there's a purpose and a point to it that is beautiful. We're going to take ownership of it when we come to the end of these verses. But you have to see the groundwork that Paul is laying here to really really grasp it. He says, I'm going to give an allegory to you from these real-life events. Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory based on fictional events that are made up in the head of of Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan. (laughs) that's right I'm about to get the axe get it so uh, Pilgrim's Progress is rooted in uh, John Bunyan's mind whereas this allegory is going to come from real life events Paul says this about Hagar these two women represent two covenants. He starts with, with Hagar. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Let me break that down for you guys, as the Judaizers would have heard it. Paul says two statements first. Hagar was a slave, and Ishmael was born according to the flesh. And the Judaizers have been like, yeah, that's true. That's right. We're with you on that. But then Paul says, Hagar points to Mount Sinai, where the law was given. Remember to Moses at Mount Sinai, the law was given there. 
So Hagar points to this thing that they're trying to oppress the saints at Galatia under. He keeps going, right? Like the Judaizers would have begun to tilt their heads and, and kind of cross their arms. Their eyebrows would have begin, began to drop a little bit, wanting to see what he's going to say next. Paul continues this representation. Hagar herself and her son Ishmael represent current, present-day Jerusalem. Judaism of today. Not today, 2021, but today to the Galatians in their, in their time. Now the Judaizers would have started to clench their jaws and clench their fists. They saw themselves as free children of Abraham through Isaac. And Paul is saying, no, you look a lot more like Ishmael because of his slavery. And you, in fact, are enslaved to the law. He goes even further. He says the Judaizers, they're not Christians. They're legalists. They are enslaved to the law And they are in slavery just like their mother, Hagar. You have no idea, you you can't, it's hard to wrap your brain around how infuriating that would have been to hear from these Judaizers. They thought they were special and important. They thought they were beautiful people. They thought that they had come in to to fix everything that Paul had done. And they were coming in to make much of themselves. Remember we saw that last week? Look at us. We're the ones that have it right. Everybody else needs to live like us and act like us and go by the same checklist we go by. They were puffed up. They were arrogant. They were narcissists. Follow us. And Paul says, you're not who you think you are. You think that you're free, but in fact, you're enslaved to the law. He chooses to do this allegory the way that he does because he's trying, right, to shake the faces of the Judaizers, so to speak, saying, don't you see it? Don't you get it? He continues with the other side of the allegory. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. That's from Isaiah. It speaks both pointing back to Sarah, who was barren, being able to conceive and bear a son. And it also points to the the Jews who are in exile, having their home returned to them being brought out of the slavery that they were currently in and having their home restored. This allegory here literally flips. Sarah was free, free woman. Isaac was born into freedom according to the promise, though, not by the works of the law. Isaac was born according to promise. That's what Sarah and Isaac represent, covenant of promise, a promise that predated the law by 400 and some years. When God gave the law on Mount Sinai, he'd already given the promise to Abraham 430 years before that. And when Jesus died on the cross and the law comes back into this secondary place of simply reminding us of our need for Jesus, the promise of God carries on even past the existence of the law. It predates it and it carries on past it. That is the promise. That's what Sarah and Isaac represent. Her children are the Jerusalem above. That's the church, the people of God. Those in Christ by grace through faith are Christians. Okay, that's a lot. There's a lot more underneath that too, 
But for today, the point that Paul is making is not a new one. He's saying quite simply, there are those who are in Christ, and there are those who aren't. There's enough controversy in all the subpoints that he's making. And there's a lot of controversy in the primary point he's making. Jesus is the only way to be free. That's what he says. He says that, that this very complex sounding passage proclaims a very simple message. There are those in Christ, they are free. There are those who are not, and they of course are not free. And the dividing line is faith in Jesus. So now he applies it to them. First he offers assurance to these folks in the churches of Galatia. He says, now you brothers, speaking to his brothers and sisters, the saints in Galatia, like Isaac, are children of promise. I love that he he uses uh, the the terms that he uses here. Brothers and sisters, he calls them. He's in this with them. He is together with them. He says, I know you personally. I know your story. I've seen the grace of God at, at work in your lives, and I know that you're free children. Remember today that you're free. That's assurance that he gives them. Good news that he gives them. The next one's good news too, but it doesn't feel like it. He says, but just, so you're free children, saints in Galatia, but just as at that time he was born, according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. What does that mean? Rewind. When the child grew up, Isaac, this is Genesis 21, and was weaned, Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. And not just like at Abram's maybe funny jokes that he, he laid out in the, the ceremony you know, of uh, this party. He's laughing at Isaac. He's mocking him and making fun of him. Paul says, but just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. He says, these uh, Judaizers who have come in who are trying to, to put you under the weight of the law, put you under the burden of the law to shame you and oppress you into conforming to their checklist of ways of living, he says it's not surprising that they would because they are acting like their mother's son, Ishmael. Again, that would have stung. He goes on with another application. But what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. This verse, by the way, hear me, has a long history in our country, along with other verses, of being leveraged for evil, evil things. Okay? That's true. It's totally misinterpreted. It's totally misunderstood. Paul doesn't mean it in any sort of way beyond false teachers in the church must be dealt with. People who would put the children of God under the oppression of legalism instead of the freedom of faith in Christ should be cast out and pushed out from the church. He's citing back to what happened in Genesis 21. 
Sarah gets upset about the laughter and mockery directed towards her son. She said, cast out this slave woman with her son. Her heart is evil towards Hagar. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. He loved his boy, Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. I don't know why God acted that way towards Ishmael in the broad scheme of things. If you remember the story, they go out into the wilderness. They're actually on the point of verge of death there. But I do know this. God does not forget them. God comes to them there. He cares for Hagar and her son Ishmael, and he redeems and blesses them. That's the story he's coming from, but the point he's making is nothing to do with with slavery as our minds tend to understand it. Think about it. He's talking about those who would lead astray the body of Christ. People who would make more of themselves and less of Jesus and use their power and influence to gain for themselves recognition and notoriety. He says, be rid of them. But not just them personally, but also their message. Those who would say that you have to live up to a checklist to be right with God, even if they are no longer in your life saying those things, that message will continue to linger in your mind. So be rid of not just the messengers who say such things, but, but the message that they deliver. And lastly, he calls them to embrace their freedom. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free. In Christ, we are freed from our sins. I love the Lord, the word we. He's with them in this. Free with them, beckoning them out of the prison cell that has no lock on the door and saying, live free. That passage is weird. There's a lot of landmines in that passage. There's a lot of deep conversations underneath that passage. There's a lot of questions underneath that passage. There's a lot of difficult topics underneath that passage. I'm here just trying to give you the main point today. What does it mean to us? That's where we'll finish. What does it mean for us, the children of God today, 2021 here in Barbersville? Two sets of applications for us. One set is I'm going to call tough applications because they're a little bit harder to ingest. The others are tender. Tough Applications, tender applications, they'll be good for our soul. The tough applications expect suffering. He tells the the people at the church of Galatia, you will be persecuted. Jesus said the same thing. If, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus is saying that, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep, uh, uh, they will also keep yours. Now, uh, Babylon B wrote this this week. Scottsdale, Arizona. Sources in, this is satire, 
Sources in the far-off pagan country of Arizona are bringing back reports of intense persecution experienced by Carla Metters, who recently posted a God-glorifying status on her Facebook page, only to have it met with a ha-ha react emoji. She's persecuted for the cause of Christ. Don't be that way. Don't engage in virtue signaling of your persecution while your brothers and sisters around the world stare death in the face with Jesus on their lips while we live in massive amounts of freedom as the children of God. But at the same time, following Jesus will cost you something. It should cost you Something. Maybe it'll happen in relationships or there'll be comfort that it cost you. There'll be uh, reputation or influence that it cost you. There may be opportunities that are missed. Suffering comes, expected. It's guaranteed, but the portions will vary. Some people will suffer significantly. Others may not, but it should cost all of us something. Maybe for some of us, we'll end up in those very dangerous places, proclaiming the gospel at risk to our own lives. But, but for many of us, it'll be small things. And don't virtue signal your persecution. It's nauseating. But be ready for your following of Christ to cost you something. Second, confront in-house anti-gospel influences. So suffering, be ready to suffer. That's a tough application. Be ready to confront in-house anti-gospel influences is a tough application, but I say in-house on purpose. We don't have to go out of these walls and start tearing down every other person who doesn't believe the gospel. That's not the point. The point is here, in this place where all of us say, I belong to Jesus. When leaders among us who say, I belong to Jesus, start to say, Do as I do. Be like me. Look at me. For my glory. For my honor. Narcissistic, arrogant behaviors. Instead of look to Jesus. Glorify God. That is anti-gospel. Pride is anti-gospel. Arrogance is anti-gospel. Narcissism is anti-gospel. Those who would lead the people of God in that direction must be held accountable. So confront in-house, anti-God, whoever it is, even if it's people who talk into microphones every week, confront them when they make it about themselves and not about Jesus. Lovingly, kindly. Matthew 18, go one-on-one then with a brother, that sort of thing, right? It's not flame somebody on Facebook or you know start to ridicule or mock someone, but at the same time hold them accountable. Now the tender applications. Rejoice with confident assurance. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. We were once lost, far off from God. We were barren. We were enslaved in our sin. We were dry bones. But God... In His grace, through faith, breathed life into us. Gave liveliness in place of our barrenness. He brought close those who were far off. 
He gave a home and a family to those who were lost. That's our story, children of God. Rejoice. I heard some of y'all singing. You were rejoicing in that this morning. May our lives sing of that. The last application is embrace the DNA of freedom. Remember Zed and Roy from the beginning? They stay in a prison cell. The lock has been melted through. It's gone. And yet they stay. I've been there. Staying in prison cells that were wide open. Prison cell of I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. Which leads to the prison cell of workaholism or or entitlement. Look at all that I've done or I've got to do more and I just run myself ragged trying to earn the favor of people whose favor I don't need. Some maybe are in the prison cell of addiction or uh, comfort or greed. I can't really live unless I have A, B, or C. Some of us maybe are in the prison cell of doubt or fear or anxiety. What if A, B, or C does or doesn't happen? Then what will happen? Or what if it did or didn't happen? Those questions play in our minds. Some of us are in the prison cell of guilt and shame. What if they knew A, B, or C about me? Or what if I did A, B, or C and had to carry the weight of that for the rest of my life, the guilt and the shame? Some of us are in the prison cell of other people's expectations or opinions. Some of us in the prison cell of selfishness, desire for control. Some of us, like the Galatians, and this is common in Appalachia, in the Bible Belt, are still in the prison cell of checklist Christianity. Don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do or whatever, you know. We've got a list that has culturally been handed down to us that we have imposed upon ourselves as what it looks like to be a true Christian. And we stand in the prison cell of that. Hear me today, the prison cell door it doesn't have a lock. I say that with deep care and compassion because I know for some of us the walk out of the prison cell is long and hard and difficult and it doesn't happen overnight. I didn't mention this, but Gordy, the one who leaves the prison cell, when he walks out, he's got handcuffs on his arms and he walks for miles with those handcuffs still on his hands. And it makes everything he's doing as he lives free very cumbersome until one day eventually he realized that they were never locked to begin with. He takes them off. Be free. You're children of freedom. And the road to freedom may be long. It really might. It may be difficult. You may need people to walk alongside you in that and I pray that there's people in this place who will. The scars that you have from before might never fully heal. The weight that you carry now, you may carry it for a while. The handcuffs maybe sometimes feel like they belong on your wrist. Move towards freedom. Embrace the DNA of freedom that exists for all the children of God and move towards it. Might we move towards it together as the people of God?
patient with the people like me sometimes who still have the handcuffs on their wrist. And we want to, it's not helpful to be like, are you stupid? They're unlocked. That's not helpful. But we walk with them, encouraging them, encouraging me to walk in freedom. Embrace the freedom that is ours in Christ. There's no freedom apart from Jesus Christ, but those of us who are truly free in Christ should embrace that freedom fervently with all that we are. Might it transcend our our very lives. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. If you're not a Christian, believe that today. Trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus died in the place of sinners, gave His blood out of His hands and His feet, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Believe that, and you'll be saved. And you'll be set free, and who the Son sets free is free indeed. They will not fall through the floor, I promise. That's right. Father, thank you so much for the freedom that is ours in you. May we embrace it together as your children. May we walk in freedom. That, that, that means different things for all of us in this room. I pray that will be our major takeaway today, though, is that in Christ we're free. There's some chains we need to leave behind. There's some prison cells we need to live, leave behind. There's some handcuffs we need to leave behind and walk in that freedom. But we need your strength and your and your grace to do it. So give that to us today. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.